The Lord be with you. So if you were to ask your math teacher what the shortest distance between two points is, your math teacher would say it's a straight line. Yeah. However, if those two points are two people who are mad at each other, inevitably the distance that the reasons they are mad at each other will travel is actually a triangle. Yeah? We see this happen in the playground where someone will say, Teacher, Timmy stuck his tongue out at me. Or, or we'll hear it at our workplace where someone will say, Susie, can you believe that Pam's lunch is taking up the entire office fridge? Or even in our homes, we'll say, Mom, why didn't Uncle Lester invite me to his birthday party? Now, there is a name for this kind of behavior. It's called triangulation. It's when, instead of telling person B all the reasons that I am mad at person B, I go over here to person C and I say, do you know what person B did? I am so mad at them. And in that moment, I have created a triangle between the three of us. And here is shocking news to all of you, I'm sure. This happens even in churches. Wow. Wow. I know. You're all horrified that that could occur. But look, there's, there's perfectly understandable reasons why we do this. And the most basic one is, when we're feeling hurt, we want to flee pain and chase pleasure And look, if person B has hurt me, I say to myself, why in the world would I want to go and have a conversation with person B? That's where I experience the hurt. Instead, I want to flee from that hurt and seek pleasure. And you know what gives me pleasure? Being right. And if I go to person C and I tell them all the things that person B did, well, person C wasn't there. They don't know what actually happened. So I can tell the story however I want to tell the story. And the way I want to tell the story is that person B is wrong and I am right. Yeah? What a wonderful thing to do. Yeah. Except if if I tell the story real well, here's what might happen. I might even convince person C to talk to person B for me. Yeah, and if person B could talk to person C, or talk to, if person C could talk to person B and convince person B to behave in the way that I want them to, well, that would make me feel really good. Yeah? But here's the problem triangulation, it just doesn't work. Yeah? Having another person talk to the person we're having a conflict with very rarely gets that person to behave in the way that we want them to, at least long-term. And then here's the problem. If, if we have tried to convince person C to talk to person B, and it doesn't work, we may be tempted to keep finding more people to triangulate with. Maybe if we can get two or three or four people to talk to person B for us, well, then eventually we'll convince them. But here's the problem, right? If we get persons C, D, E, and F on our side, maybe person B will get the next four people in the alphabet on person B's side. And this is the first problem with triangulation beyond it not working. It's that triangulation makes our problems bigger. Yeah? Whereas before... We had a conflict between two people, 
And to resolve that conflict, it would take one conversation. If we have a conflict between 10 people, the math on that is it's going to take 45 conversations to work out our problem. The second problem with triangulation is that it gives our power away. If I am relying on person C to solve all my problems with person B, what it means is now I don't know how to solve my problems when I have a conflict. Instead, I have to rely on person C. And that means I have to spend the rest of my life making sure that person B is always on the other side of person C. I have to constantly keep track of where these two people are. And heaven help me if I end up in a conflict with anyone else in the room, because now I've got to try to keep this all in check. But here's the other thing. Conflict, it's natural. It's normal. It's just a part of being human. But if I go to person C with my problems, instead of talking to person B directly, what I may have done is, in that moment, strengthened my relationship with person C, but I have created a wall between me and person B. And here's the thing. If I haven't figured out how to resolve my conflict with person B, the truth is, someday, I'm going to have a conflict with person C. And I won't know how to deal with it. And so suddenly, I'll create a wall between myself and person C. And if I keep this up, I may be able to create a wall between me and absolutely every single person in my life. And so this is the third problem with triangulation, is it walls us off from relationships. This is how workplaces become toxic, right? This is how churches split. This is how families fall apart. And it's how we as individuals end up alone. But God doesn't want us to be alone. Literally, the third thing that God says about humans in the Bible is it's not good for us to be alone. And so, in hopes that we might not be alone, Jesus says to us, if someone sins against you in the church, Go to that person directly and share the problem with them privately. Yeah? Jesus asks us to do the exact opposite of what is in our nature. Instead of going to someone else, instead of fleeing the pain and seeking the pleasure, Jesus asks us, asks us to do the hard work of going to someone one-on-one -on -one and saying, Hey, you hurt me. I want to talk about that so we can make it right. Now, what that means, it's not I'm going to send that person a text. It's not I'm going to send that person an email because those things inevitably lead to more miscommunication. It's I'm going to go and talk to that person face-to-face -face, or at the very least, I'm going to talk to them over the phone. Yeah? And here's the thing. Jesus knows we don't want to do this. Who wants to do this? Not me. And so Jesus makes a promise to us. Jesus says, wherever two or three are gathered in my name, I am there among them. Jesus makes this promise to be present when two or three are gathered in his name, not when they're doing Bible study or here in a worship service, though definitely he's here in those places too. 
Jesus makes this promise to be among two or three who are gathered in his name when they are in conflict with each other. But he's not there to be a triangle. right? He's not there to come in between me and the person I'm in conflict with. He's there to be among us to envelop us so that we can have a stronger connection together. Because here's the thing, whereas triangulation makes our problems bigger, the conversation that Christ calls us to makes our resources bigger. When I go to someone directly, asking Christ to be there among us, I am suddenly surrounded by divine truth, the divine truth that is Jesus Christ. And that divine truth is, I am a beloved child of God who is worthy of dignity and respect. But you know who else is a beloved child of God worthy of dignity and respect? Person B. And let me be clear. It's obvious person B is not perfect, right? Otherwise, we wouldn't be having this conversation. But the divine truth is, I'm also not perfect. Yeah? And so when I go to someone directly with Christ among us, suddenly the conversation doesn't become all about accusations and defensiveness. The conversation is no longer about proving that they are wrong and that I am right. The conversation becomes about acknowledging that we both have value and we both have our warts. And so the goal of the conversation becomes, with all our imperfections and our inherent value, how can we find a way to treat each other with dignity and respect as siblings in Christ? But here's the thing. Even if I go face-to-face to person B and we try to talk through our problems and we try to listen to each other, it may be that we still don't work out our differences. Jesus acknowledges this, and so Jesus says, if that happens, go again to that person, but take one or two other people with you. And I want to be clear, Jesus isn't saying, take one or two other people with you so you can triangulate with them, okay, person C, here's what you need to tell person B. No, he says, go that they might confirm every word so that they are witnesses. The words that those witnesses might confirm might be the words of the person you're mad at. Yeah? They might have to say, hey, Ben, guess what? Did you know you had a part in this problem, too? Never happens. (laughs) That can't be right. To say, the one or two people who go with you, they are there to help you have the conversation better, to help you listen to each other so that you might confirm the words that are coming out of the other person's mouth. And so, whereas triangulation gives our powers away to others, the conversations that Christ calls us to uses others to empower us to have the conversations we need for reconciliation. But even then, it may not be enough. And so Jesus says, if, if that doesn't work, what you do then is go and you tell it to the church. And I want to be clear, I don't think what Jesus is saying is, on Sunday morning, stand up and worship and denounce person B, right? I don't think that's what Jesus means. There's a a tradition of Christianity called Quakers, and Quakers are committed to solving all their disagreements without violence. And as they have 
spent centuries studying this instruction of Jesus to tell your problems to the whole church, they have turned this instruction into a method of conflict resolution called a clearness committee. And a clearness committee works like this. If you are in a conflict with someone, and you've done those first two steps of talking to them directly, trying to talk to them with someone along with you, and it still doesn't work, well, then you go to the church and say, hey, we are at this impasse, and we are requesting a clearness committee. And what that is, it's just a group of members of the congregation who've been trained in mediation, and you and the person you're in conflict with You sit next to each other, and the other people in the congregation who are on this team, they sit around you in a circle. And what they do is they ask open-ended questions to each one of you, one at a time. And those questions are designed to get at, what are your values? What are your needs? What are your goals? Right, the Clearness Committee doesn't impose a resolution at the end of that conversation. The Clearness Committee is there for one thing, which is to help the two of you achieve clarity on what is at the actual root of your conflict. What are the real stakes of your disagreements? So that even though you might not agree at the end of it, you can at least say, I understand why that person feels the way they do. And I can respect that person for feeling that way. And we may never be friends, but we can treat each other with the dignity that comes from being siblings in Christ. And then Jesus says, but sometimes even that won't work. And in that moment, what Jesus says is, treat such a person as a Gentile and a tax collector. Now, a Gentile and tax collectors, they were people who were excluded and shunned from most of Jewish society. And Jesus is saying, look, let me be clear, there are some people in this world with whom your relationship will deteriorate so much that for your own safety and well-being, you need to put up hard boundaries between that person and yourself. That's just the sad truth of things. But just because you have to put up those hard boundaries between you and that other person doesn't mean it's an end-to-all relationship with that person. Matthew, of the four Gospel writers, it is only Matthew who records Jesus' words about treating such a person as a Gentile and a tax collector. Anyone know what Matthew's profession was before he started following Jesus? He was a tax collector. That's right. And it is Matthew, alone of the four Gospels, who ends his Gospel with Jesus commissioning his followers to go forth and make disciples of all nations, which is to say, to make disciples of the Gentiles. For the past three months, we've been working our way through the book of Romans. The book of Romans is a letter written by the Apostle Paul to Roman Christians, Gentile Christians, who are in conflict with Jewish Christians in the city of Rome. Paul has this ministry to them because the other 12 apostles said, we don't really want to go minister to the Gentiles. Paul, you want something to do. Why don't you go do it? And Paul said, of course, I'm glad to do it. Which is all to say, when Jesus tells us we have to treat people like 
Gentiles or tax collectors if we cannot repair the relationship. It is not that we are writing them off for all eternity, but it is a recognition that perhaps it is not us as individuals who are called to be in relationship with them. The body of Christ still has a responsibility to these folks to minister to them, to try to help them learn the skills and behavioral techniques that are needed to be a loving part of God's family. It just may not be us who does it. When Paul writes his letter to the Romans, the Gentile followers of Jesus and the Jewish followers of Jesus are having one big conflict. And the conflict is this. The Jewish followers of Jesus really want the Gentiles to follow all the Jewish laws. And the Gentiles definitely don't want to do that. And so Paul gives them words of advice today. He says, all the commandments are summed up in this. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to your neighbor, and so love is the fulfilling of all the law. We are called to love one another. And one of the most profound and tangible ways that we can show our love to another person is to go to them directly and privately when we are mad at them and say, hey, you hurt me. Can we talk about that and try to make it right? Immediately before Jesus gives us this instruction, he tells the parable of the good shepherd who leaves the 99 sheep to go find the one who is lost. When someone comes to us and says, hey, you hurt me, but I value our relationship so much, I value you so much, that I want to sit down and talk it through so we can make it right. In that moment, that person is saying to you, there are 99 people in this world I would rather be talking to than you right now. But I love you so much, I know we need to work this out. That is what love looks like. May we love one another enough to have the conversations Christ calls us to have. May we love one another enough to listen. And to give us courage to do these things, may we trust in Christ's words that wherever two or three are gathered in my name, I am there among them. Amen.